Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the Sam Wise Yaboinski podcast, now in season two. So exciting. How are you today, Sam? I just got back from England, and in England, all the snowdrops are blossoming, and uh, there were lots of beautiful flowers on the trees, uh, even in February. Uh, so um, the spring is early in England. It was actually lovely. Welcome. We have our next guest is uh, just wonderful. Baird Klima Smith is here with us today. And I am so grateful for all of the things. Baird is one of these incredible leaders we have at the church that does just a ridiculous array of wonderful things. I get to work with him on the board right now, and then on the Safer Congregations Task Force and so many things. But then also we're coming off of a beautiful weekend of so much worship that we got to do together um, and, and celebrating Jim Sugarman. And it's just been, it's just really wonderful to have all the different gifts that you bring to the church. So thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, and as we have, um, well, we'll just start out with a little bit of the kind of story of of how you how you came to the church and some of your spiritual sort of background and. Hmm. Yeah, well, it, uh, you know, it's not dissimilar from many other stories. You know that that often start with some kind of more organized hierarchical type of religion, and then you know move into a more um, curiosity based you know posture. You know, in my case, I grew up, uh, well, it was Anglican. I mean, it's Episcopalian, but my first memories are in Thailand. And we would go to the Anglican church. Um, in Bang- you know, it was in Bangkok. And, um, you know, Sam, I think you would appreciate the juxtaposition between those sort of classic sort of British, you know, Anglican organ chorus sounds, you know, that, that, that probably imbued your childhood and just sort of the background of, of England. Well, I did. Um, I mean, I, I didn't grow up Anglican, but I grew, I grew up singing in, in, in choirs in Anglican churches. So yeah, I'm very right. familiar with that whole atmosphere. Yeah. So you know that whole aesthetic. But so now just sort of take that whole aesthetic and imagine it's 96 degrees outside and you're in a kind of a wooden church that has all of these uh, candelivered you know, walls so that you can let the breeze go through and there's huge, you know, fans blowing. Um, and yet the, all of the celebrants are still in their, you know, huge robes. Oh my <laughs> you know, it's just, goodness. Wow. And then, you know, you, you, you'd finish the service and then everybody would go to the club for a swim. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wait, why Thailand? Why, yeah. How were you there? Why were we in Thailand? Oh, my father was uh, part of a pharmaceutical company that was, you know, a trans international organization. And, so he would get uh, he would get promoted and moved. So I was born. Well, their marriage you know, right after they got married, they went to Columbia, where my older sister was born. Wow! And then they went to uh, Canada, where I was born, and then a short stay in in New Jersey. I mean, like a year. And then we went to Guatemala, where my younger sister was born. And then we moved to Thailand. Um, and at that point, I was you know a young child, like you know kindergartenish. 
And then we stayed there um, for five years and wow. then we moved to the Netherlands. Mm. And then we moved mm. to the United States. Um, that is a fascinating I didn't know trajectory. any of that. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. How well, old were you when you moved to the Netherlands? Uh, let's see. I was in second grade. So I was, we were in Thailand probably preschool through, yeah, that, that, that sort of chunk there. Yeah. Um, I was young. I mean, so those memories are very, you know, how those kind of memories are from your early childhood. They're filled with feelings and scenes, you know, they're not, they're not all stitched together into, to, to one big narrative. It's more like these little vignettes. Mm. Um, and they were fan. I mean, they're fantastic. vignettes. you know, they were, I have, you know, very, very, very sharp memories of the big floods that we have every year with the monsoons. Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, the land crabs scuttling across our living room floor and all that. Wow. And, wow. Um, you know, those kind of memories. I have a memory of being locked inside a temple one time. We were visiting a temple that had this beautiful art that was, the whole temple was um, dedicated to the moment in Buddha's life where he has to confront, he calls forth the devil, right? And confronts the devil. You know, it's yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. It's that same mythology cycle that happens and, you know, it happens in Christianity as well with Jesus in the desert. And it happens obviously in Greek you know, mythology as well, you know, go to Hades and confront death. Um, so it was a, it was a temple that was dedicated to that moment in the, the story of Buddha and the art was fantastic. You know, it was all demons and they had embedded little glass eyes and, you know, wow. gold, gold inlay and stuff. And we were there at the end of the day and they, um, you know, I was, a, I was probably in first grade and I was just staring at all of the stuff. And all of a sudden I, I missed out the, the temple was being closed at the end of the day my family shuffled out without me <laughs> and they locked the door and i was oh, no. you know in this you know this dark interior with enough light to make all of the glittering eyes glitter you know? oh no uh, it was quite something i mean it only lasted it only lasted about four minutes probably but it, but it's enough wow. to be scared in my memory <laughs> like being being locked in the temple with the devil wow it was quite wow. something yeah that's fantastic yeah but and uh and with all that travel, do you do, has that endured? Like, do you love to travel now or did you sort of do it all when you were a child and now you like to I do like home? to travel. I mean, it's, it's expensive. So I don't, yeah. you know, I think I had imagined I'd be more of a traveler, um, but I, I haven't done too much traveling. You know, we lived a, when, when I was married to Betsy, we, we went to Costa Rica a few times. We uh, lived in Europe for a year and lived in the Czech Republic and did a lot of traveling that year. Um, but then I'm also getting, you know, and I've gone to, you know, we've gone to Iceland and I've gone, you know, gone to, I mean, yes, some, but no, it's not. I was about to say, that's a lot of travel. That's, yeah, that's a lot of travel. Not, not in the way that like my folks are right. addicted to traveling. I mean, they just, right. they just got back from Patagonia and they're, my dad just yesterday was thinking like, you know, in March, I'd really want to go to the Dominican Republic. It's like, <laughs> you, you go you know he's 80 you know he's 82 and wow and my mom has early onset dementia but he's he's like Let, let's just go you know mm. um wow so and then also I'm, I'm getting a little hyper aware of the impact of each of those flights on, on the global warming situation and sort of starting to think like really is that the right thing to do but um, yeah so it's you know it's a, it's an interesting brew, but mostly it's because I can't afford it. <laughs> so it's like I don't want to sound too uh, holier than now. It's mo you know if I could afford it, I'd probably be traveling. Yeah, well, and I'm always fascinated too because there's so much right 
here and right around right. you know it's like yeah like, there's I so much in the this country outdoors and you know maine like i could spend the next 40 years of my life exploring the woods in maine and not go to the same place twice so i think there's this interesting balance of of adventure and being exposed especially with kids you know exposing kids to yeah. wild you know yeah. temples with demon eyes and all these things <laughs> right but then also really exploring right around so Okay, wait. So then, how did you find the church? Uh, so, so my you know my family stayed Episcopalian. You know, um, that was a little hard. When we lived in Holland. We didn't really attend church very much. But when we came to the United States, uh, so I was in middle school. We started going to a local Episcopalian church, and I was you know I was deep in you know I was an accolade you know an altar boy. Um, nice. And, you know, parading around <laughs> with the the book and, you know, mm-hmm. and the cross and the candles and, you know, wore the red robes. And, um, but I think as I got into my teenage years, uh, you know, people would be at the rail receiving communion and I would have done my part and I'd be sitting off to the side and, you know, people were kneeling there with their feet kind of towards me and I could see all their Argyle socks. And I don't know if you remember those little socks that had the whales on them in the eighties, yeah, yeah. crappy things. Yeah. And it started, I, I just started, you know, in that wonderful teenage cynical way, sort of to understand how much of people's faith was performance rather than faith. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of in, in that particular case, I mentioned the Argyle socks, not because Argyle socks are offensive, but, but, but rather that I, you know, sort of saw the fashion show. Um, I think that's the last time anybody will use the word Argyle and fashion in the same sentence. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, um, but I just started to seeing it as like, there's, you know, there's religion of faith and then there's religion of, of custom or of culture. And, um, you know, I, you know, I went through confirmation process and started really examining what the Trinity meant and, you know, discovered through that process that I didn't really believe in it. Um, mm which didn't stop me from enjoying church and very, very much until this day, it's still true. Enjoying the gospels. I mean, I still love, you know, I still love reading about Jesus. I love, read that book zealot. I don't know if you read mm. that. Oh, I know that I haven't read it, but I I'd like to read oh, it. Oh my it's goodness. Like... It's fantastic. But yeah. you know, I, so I'm really fascinated with the story of Christianity and, and why people believe, you know, in the story and what it's doing, like the function of the story. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's that wonderful quote, I can't remember who it was, that sort of said, uh, you know, I believe in, you know, I believe everything in the Bible and some of it may even be true, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one. Um, and I, and I, that's definitely sort of my stance on it. But, um, you know, then I stopped, when, when Betsy and I were going to get married, I wanted to get married by one of the deacons who then become kind of the part-time minister of that church I'd gone to, uh, this wonderful woman, Julie Norton. And, you know, as we sat down with her, you know, she said to us, well, because I'm Episcopalian minister, I must, by virtue of wearing this stole and so on and so forth, I must evoke the Trinity. And that was a big turnoff for Betsy. She wanted to have an integrity in our wedding vows. And for me, it was like, yeah, you know, people wave Tibetan, you know, prayer flags or whatever. Like I didn't, for me, it was just like about the trappings of this person I loved doing our celebration. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, I, I realized I didn't really care about, you know, mm-hmm. what the, the faith was, but Betsy did, you know, and um, we stopped, you know, I wasn't really going to church regularly at that moment anyway. 
but when we started uh, exploring going to church again, which is, you know, inevitably when you're having kids and whatnot, um, the Unitarian, the, the Unitarian path made the most sense. It was most congruous with how I thought about religion, which is that it's a place to, you know, ask, I mean, the questions I was asking about Jesus were not, the, not the questions a true believer might ask, you know, mm. right. why do people need this belief, you know, which is different than, mm. you know, the questions someone with faith might ask. Um, and I liked, and I liked also the, um, the focus on justice rather than personal salvation. I think that was another turnoff for me from a lot of mainstream Protestants, Protestants, uh, where, you know, the whole objective is, sort of, you know, how do I get myself into heaven? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it ain't about me. Um, yeah. It's like, how can we make the world a better place? And I like that. I like that, which is not to say that that's not what other Christian churches are doing. It's just that to me, it felt like the, the emphasis on personal salvation uh, was the wrong one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that when I die, I'm going to end up dirt. Like I'm not, I'm not really concerned mm-hmm. about my yeah. personal salvation, but I am concerned about my impact on fellow citizens and of the world and animals and plants. I mean, I think that's a better, that's a better question. Yeah. There's a beautiful um, phrase, realized eschatology, where it's like, this is the kingdom of heaven that we get yes. to create right, right here. And so right. let's, you know, actually engage. Mm. Um, and then who knows, you know, like who knows afterwards, but we do know right here and now that right. there's mm. some work mm. to be done. No, I agree. Yeah. And were you guys already here in Belmont by that point or? Well, let's see. We, when we got, we're both from this area. I went to, to high school in Whalen, Massachusetts, and she went to, to high school in Hingham, Massachusetts. And we met oh, wow. in college in Connecticut at Wesleyan. But then we moved out West. We had one bounce back here to this coast where we were getting a master's and we moved back out to Seattle. And we had our first child, Isaac, we had out there. And then we moved back in 2000 hmm. and we moved to Belmont in 2008. And I would say somewhere around 2000, probably 2006 was the year we were in the Czech Republic. And we had started dabbling with First Church before we went to the Czech Republic, so 2005. And when we came back to the Czech Republic, uh, we were still living in Somerville, um, but but we started going. Isaac was the right age to be doing the musicals. Um, and we had experimented with a few churches in, in the Somerville, Cambridge area mm. and uh, had some friends. And my sister had moved to Belmont. She didn't go to our church, but um, so we had gotten curious. Um, and then we moved, you know, and, and the church was a big reason to move to Belmont, actually. Um, and my sister was here. We wanted the walkability. So, you know, Betsy brilliantly took out a map of Belmont and uh, drew concentric, you know, drew a circle around the high school, a circle around the middle school, and a circle around the church, and a circle around downtown and saw where the intersections and circles lay. We started house hunting that way. Mm. Um, and that's still the way I experienced church. So I walked to church. I really like that part of church, you know, that. Um, of walking through the community, you know, seeing, seeing neighbors. It's like some bad sitcom, you know, like walking, you know, like Mr. Rogers walking hey. to church. Hey, hi there, we're going to church. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and David loves walking to church. You know, it's, it's really fun. You know, when you saw us last weekend, you, you're seeing a very happy boy. He loves oh yeah. He looks at the outing. He loves the outing. It really is one of the 
most interesting things I think about churches is that, you know, we come together for so many different things and so many different moments when Sam and I welcome the new folks in, we actually get to hear everybody's story similarly. And it's always fascinating to me because it's, it really is that there's all these different lines, all these different paths and they all converge for this moment. I mean, it's like 420 members right now, right? Adults and another hundred some odd kids. And it's like all these, all these paths converging for this moment in time. It's really, it's really fascinating. And some of them start in Thailand. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. But I think with, I used to teach, uh, I'm a school administrator now. I used to teach and um, I taught world history and world culture class. And one of the things we kept asking in that class was about the confluence or the, uh, not the confluence, the um, sort of the, the chemistry between a, a place, its mm. history, mm. its culture, its faith, you know, and sort of how and why these things happen and, and how they're shaped by all, you know, each other. You know, it's a very, and you get into this mode, which is the right mode to be in of understanding the interconnectedness of all the different stories, you know, and, um, you know, I remember in Seattle where I was teaching, there was a big Mormon population and there's also a very big sort of mainstream Protestant uh, population. And we were studying um, the, perf- the performatives of life cycle ceremonies. So, you know, death, death and birth and marriage and coming of age, those kinds of things across different cultures. And we had hired mm. a um, West African drumming group to come teach our kids the, 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 the drumming sequences and the dances for some of their life ceremonies. And I remember some kid, you know, uh, just absolutely, you know, he was a mainstream Protestant kid being just blown away and after school asking to talk to me. We had just had a day when we had learned that we could not learn. We were told we were not allowed to learn the drumming beat for the death ceremony because- wow in their religion, they believe the actual drumming, that particular rhythm was the performative that separated the soul from the body. And wow. so the instructor had said, like, for obvious reasons, we're not going to practice that here. Wow. You know, and this kid was just blown away. You know, um, you know, he hadn't gone to a temple as a kid in Thailand. He hadn't, you know, this was his first experience with there being multiple truths, right. you know, yeah. in the world. And, you know, it was a, I mean, it was the perfect time. He was in high school. It was, it was the perfect time to have a little crisis of faith. Um, yeah. Who knows what he's doing now? Maybe he's a shaman of some sort. <laughs> like, I have no idea what, what yeah. the impact was on him. But it really, <laughs> but it really um, you know, it's, it inspires me when you say that, Chris, people coming from so many different places. Because I think it's true that there are so many different ways of being true. Yeah. Um, and that I love that about our church, that it can hold all of, it can hold all of that because we've developed, you know, our principles um, can hold all of that. It, it, it's not so, that's the right word, Catholic. It's not so, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's something else. That's, that really resonates with me, actually, Bayard, because there's something uh, that I feel very free to think about and explore and talk about in in the the kind of Unitarian Universalist context is um, not whether this is true for any teaching or tradition or text or whatever, 
But in what way is it true? How is it true? What kind of truth is getting told here? What kind of truth is getting expressed here? What, how, can I, how can I truly live into what's being said here? What kind of wisdom is it? And I think, I think that's that kind of range of questions, like how is something true? How is this tradition true? Is much more interesting to me and much more enlightening than, um, you know, I've heard, I've heard the, uh, with apologies to the, to the, to the, uh, to, to the Christians, but I've, I, I've heard, um, an ex-Christian referring to the Protestant tradition they grew up in as having a Yeti theory of God, right? So the Yeti is either there or not there. God is either there or not there. And that's the only thing to believe or not believe about, about him. And uh, I think it's it, the, 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 the interesting questions about God or about the soul or about any other teaching really is in what way is this true? And I, and that, so what you're yeah. saying really resonates with me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great way of saying it too, because the Yeti, I mean, might be there like nobody's seen it but doesn't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but but sam i think you're asking a really good question about like and so then why do we need to have the question about the yeti mm. you know because mm. i think that's sort of gets to it like what's our urge like why do we have to have a bigfoot why do we have to have a loch ness why do we need to have a yeti it's yeah. so necessary in human yeah. culture it, it, it cuts across all cultures and we, there's always the boogeyman there's always the mysterious misfit the way evolution didn't work the yeah you know the the, the you know the beauty and the beast the all of that it's there you know the gargoyles the yeah absolutely absolutely and 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 also i guess what part of part of what i sort of figured out was for myself was that um you know i, I grew up a pretty staunch atheist in a pretty staunch atheist household and um you know, there are lots of varieties of atheism, of course. There are lots of varieties of agnosticism, but but the particular variety of atheism that I sort of felt myself affiliated with is the variety that's familiar to us mainly from people like Richard Dawkins, you know, the God delusion and so forth. And 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 to me now, it seems like that variety of very militant atheism really is just a kind of flip side of a certain kind of very dogmatic Protestantism, right? For the, yes. for them, religion is all about personal belief, right? So talking about religions, is what do you believe? What don't you believe? Do you believe God is out there like the Yeti or not out there like the Loch Ness Monster and so forth? And uh, and 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 deepening my understanding of religion and what it can tell us and what we can learn through it was partly about getting away from this militant atheism of my childhood, um, rather in the same way that some people coming to Unitarianism from um dogmatic christianity can 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 experience the same kind of thing yeah one thing i like to tell people on their way in is that you know we have this theological diversity within the church and i find if i'm listening deeply and fully that you know multiple truths can still deepen my own you know i think of our coming of age class where we invite the youth and we're doing a adult coming of age class through the community collaborative project. And, you know, it's not, I think if we're, I think if we're listening clearly and we're really engaging with people, then really different truths than our own can still deepen, even if we utterly disagree on some level, mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of the sources we lift up, it's not like just this last weekend with the, the haiku master, the, um, the samurai haiku master, it wasn't to then be prescriptive about his faith and then say, okay, so he had something right, but it was, you know, how can we be open to the resonance of truth 
within this scripture. Right. You know, lift up Taoist um, poetry, not to say Taoism is the one true way, but to say, all right, well, how does this, how does this speak to me? How does this engage? My, yeah. You know, you know, yeah. Chris, I'm, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective on how you as a minister uh, differentiate between kind of religious tourism mm. or the sampling that we do that's sometimes a product of our, of our privilege, I suppose, or product of imperialism or something like, you know, like the, the people in Belmont might fly some Tibetan prayer flags. I use that as an example without, without really engaging in the question of, of, of the faith in those flags or like what they, you know, going deep, you know, in other words, just sort of, or having like some crystal in their living room or having, right. You know, like a prayer catcher, you know, a dream catcher hanging on their wall. So how do you differentiate between all that kind of sampling of, of other people's culture um, versus, you know, sort of real or rigorous yeah. interrogation, interrogation is the wrong word, you know, exploration, you know, letting truths sort of settle in and really resonate. And, you understand that question? I don't no, know. I do. Yeah. And I think there's, there's two levels. The first is a question around cultural appropriation, right? Which right. is, you know, I think that there's, that's a bit of a buzzy thing, but we can get there in a second. But I think, I think the bigger forever, right, from the very first moment that people were religiously curious, which was probably all the way back to when there started being people trying to ask questions and connect with each other, and help each other out. Um, there were some folks, it's almost like concentric circles, you know, right. like there's going to always be some folks who have a casual relationship with ultimate reality. Right. right. <laughs> Who are kind of dabblers, but, and that's not in a bad way, I think, because that can be really helpful. Right. Yeah. So I think of people who may, you know, come to church every once in a while, but even not come to church. That's probably the second level already. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> people who like might appreciate a bumper sticker or, you know, read a poem that somebody posted on Instagram or something and feel a moment of, curiosity or wonder, you know, um, and that's, that's sort of fine. Like if that's, if that's where you are, if that's maybe a departure, if that's, you know, or reach out to somebody, a close friend when their parent is dying and they're dealing with some, you know, some people that's, that's the, that's the relationship that they want. And certainly at the church, one of the ways we see it is there's really, there's these, you know, not everybody is, hungry to you know wrestle deep you know and wanting right. to really question everything or in the wake of a crisis really trying but but you have the framework there so i think it's it can be really wonderful and i think one of the things that we're seeing now you know now that we're all moving through this time of deep trauma and and just such complicated circumstances that the the frameworks that we've set up already you know like the the community frameworks that are there to hold us the spiritual practices that we have the music that we play like all of the things that we've set up you know then have that resonance in that and right. that and that deep meaning so i think i think people can kind of move through these and certainly my own experience in different moments of my life like when i was 18 and i was ready and i was like 
I'm going to just start my meditation practice. I'm going to practice, you know, yoga five times a week. And I'm going to sit an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon. I was like ready, super hungry. And that was a specific moment of life. And, you know, and I'm maybe not the best example because this is what I do for a living. But but I think (laughs) there are these times where people are super hungry and ready, um, ready to dig deeper in. And I think that's part of our challenge as as a community is to really be able to articulate. I think Unitarian Universalism does a pretty good job at sort of hundred level classes. You know, we're sort of like, hey, welcome in. Right. You know, tell us about Mm. your journey. Tell us, oh, wonderful. We all bring a different thing. But then to say, okay, so you're here and you're hungry for the next level. I mean, a lot of people then cultivate a Buddhist practice and those people who are really hungry might even leave and go somewhere where they can, you know, have a, have a clear trajectory. So, but I think, you know, I think one of the things that I've really appreciated about churches in general and first church in particular is there's really a lot of room for wherever people are, you know, especially right now yeah. when yeah. we have all the digital stuff and the Vespers and now coming back in person, you know, we have all sorts of different ways to to connect so sorry that's a very long answer no (laughs) say you know but the cultural appropriation piece is i think there's a there's a commodification of spirituality which is you know um again not necessarily good or bad uh but i think there's an invitation then to to a deeper engagement where you know if you're you know putting up something on your wall worth finding out what it is (laughs) you know, or, you know, really say, okay, these prayer flags are really beautiful, but like, what is Tibetan Buddhism and what does this actually mean? And, you know, um, I think there's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just collecting other people's beliefs, you know, and Mm. displaying them in your living room, like, look how interesting I am. Well, and the, (laughs) the other thing that resonates with what you said is I think, you know, certainly Americans, you know, I think of um, Emerson way back in the day and the very beginning of uh, especially Unitarianism, but really the whole world, uh, the, you know, um, white world being exposed to Eastern religion. Right? right. And it was like, what? And and since then, it's just more and more and more. And so now we have unprecedented exposure to the world's religion religions and wisdom traditions, and we can pick up all sorts of books. And so I think it lends itself this moment in life to a little bit of like a dabbling. So I'll take Mm -hmm. this class over here and then I'll be, you know, I'll come to the first church for a little while and then I'll go down the street and maybe I'll engage and then I'll take a long break and maybe dip a toe back into, you know, the synagogue I grew up in or whatever. Um, And I think the trick with that, and Jack Kornfield writes really beautifully about that, a Buddhist teacher, um, just about going deep in any given tradition, you Mm -hmm. know, that there's a whole different thing that you can come up against resistance that you come up against um, the complicated parts of, of deepening into a tradition only when you wrestle with it, you know, only when you come to church and you look up and you're like, I don't know. And then you dig deeper, you know, and then you have, um, so I, th- I think there's a, there's a real benefit from being able to really engage and and have a deeper walk well, think, with the faith. And you're putting your finger in exactly kind of the the 
the spirit of the question I asked you, because I, I think that is the danger of, um, you know, a church that sort of opens itself up and says like, Hey, we're up for everybody, you know, come on in. Like there's going to be a lack of rigor of faith and a lack of just rigor of understanding in that environment. And of course it exists in all churches, even those who are Orthodox, you know, there's sometimes a lack of rigor. People just believe in stuff and they've never questioned why they believe it or what they're really believing in, or they don't know their Bible story or they don't, you know, whatever. So it happens everywhere. But, you know, I, I think that forcing yourself to get to a rigorous place in your, in your journey can be very rewarding. Um, you know, I had a, I had a really had a, had an interesting experience when I was in my twenties, I worked for the Appalachian mountain club and I worked in their huts, you know, they're, they're up on the, the mountain ridges along the Appalachian trail. They've got a, a you know, wow. string of okay. I'm sorry. Where, where were you? I was, that I was at Lake of the clouds and at Lonesome Lake. Um, and at Lonesome Lake, uh, which is a very, you know, groovy little family hut, you know, uh, easy to get to and whatnot. Um, there, we were there one time midweek where there weren't a lot of folks and there'd been a, a fairly big storm the night before. And um, so all night long, we hadn't been sleeping well. And there were a lot of creaking and crashing and whatnot. And then we had distinctly heard footsteps in the morning and we came out into the kitchen and there was a guy looking very, you know, who just hiked, who had clearly been walking around in the night, you know, and he was all scratched up and, you know, bleeding here and there and his clothes were in a wreck and, you know, had spent the night in the woods. And, um, you know, we, we found out that he had been flying a small airplane and it crashed and he had survived the crash and he had, you know, fortunately had a good sense and, you know, found a trail and came, you know, came to us. And so we, of course, offered him, you know, you know, a, a clean, clean t-shirts. You know, we had all the Lonesome Lake t-shirts. We're like, hey, here's a Lonesome Lake t-shirt. And, you know, we, we had pants to offer him and, you know, clothes and warmed him up. And then we the, got to food. We're like, we wanted to give him, you know, some, some hot coffee and some food. And, and he, he said, well, can you tell me if, if meat has ever been in that? You know, have you, can you tell me that that wasn't used for like soup with a meat, you know, or whatnot? And we're mm. like, no, I can't guarantee that. And everything's been washed. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't accept any of that because I, I, I stay kosher. And, you know, wow. in this moment, <laughs> I survived a plane crash. He instead, you know, we had granola bars, fortunately. We could give him stuff to eat and some fruit and whatnot. But I was just struck by a different kind of faith than I yeah. ever yeah. experienced, this sort of integrity yeah. Of like, you know, I, I am going to stay, I'm, you know, I'm going to stay kosher. And even when, you know, most, most everybody's version of God would say like, yeah, it's okay, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. have some coffee out of that cup, you know? Yeah. Um, but so he had clearly committed to something more than, you know, religious tourism mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or religion of convenience or. Right. He, he had, and I, I've always admired that. You know, I think back at that memory, I was always admired it. Like, would it be me? Never, you know, <laughs> but, right. but I, but I absolutely admire the people who were, who have faith like that with a capital F. Yeah. Well, this is super fascinating, but we've also had a little time. If any, if you have any specific questions for either Sam or I, um, that's also been. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I was grateful. I got an opportunity to ask you the question about the uh, dabbling you know, you, Chris, mm-hmm. about the, the question of dabbling in other faiths. Sam, my, uh, 
I, I would be, it would be uh, malpractice if I was on a, on a Zoom call with someone from England and David learned that I had not asked you about your favorite premier, um, premier soccer team, premier league uh, team. Well, uh, you know, <clears throat> I feel duty bound to say that I support Chelsea and the reason is, uh, I, I actually, I, I, I'm not really a, a football fan, a soccer fan. I'm not, I don't feel, but I, I feel duty bound to say Chelsea because I just went and visited my sister in England and, uh, her husband, Tim is a lifelong Chelsea fan. And I think my, my, my sister is now a Chelsea fan too. So I think the family, we're a family of Chelsea fans and that's, uh, so you have yeah, right. Yeah, that's my heritage. I, I'm leaving. That's right. You don't have a choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I should probably watch some of their games, honestly. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's an American that plays for Chelsea, Polk, Polkczyk. So uh, he's good. Um, huh. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, he's good. He's one of David's David's favorites. Um, no, David has a has an absolute, you know, fascination with the whole the whole thing. And uh, oh, really? Yeah. 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 I think he would, he would love me the most if I with, you know, whisked him off to the, the UK and we went and saw three games and, uh, oh, wow. he's going to have to learn how to love me in more nuanced ways then. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me because when I first got to the United States, I moved to the United States like uh, over a decade ago and when I arrived, you know, uh, soccer was still something that was sort of stereotypically, you know, like, the suburban soccer mom. I know that's a stereotype and so on. It was, it was mostly uh, sort of, you know, school kids played soccer. It wasn't, it wasn't like a national game or anything, but then the last, the last world cup, suddenly soccer exploded in this country and everyone was watching the world cup. And it was like, I want, it seemed to capture something about the moment, about the, the American mood. It's like, we want to, we want to see what the rest of the world is doing. We want to be plugged into the rest of the world and no longer this isolationist, you know, calling our national game, the world series as though anyone else outside of the United States played it and so on. So, and since, so, so it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I ought to find, I ought to find some, some local soccer players so I can, so I can, uh, keep up my heritage, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's also interesting to, uh, you know, cause Premier League doesn't, is not immune from all of the, you know, radical consumerism that's part of the United States, you know, it's all about money. Like it's incredibly about money. So it's nothing, there's nothing pure about it in, in, in that sense. Um, but I'm always curious to talk to you know, people who were not born in this country about how they experience pro sports mm, in our mm, country, yeah. it's just such a behemoth of a part of our society. Um, oh, yeah. and what's the, I guess the difference between the United States and the UK in that regard is that we have so many choices in our pro sports, you know, we get the basketball and the football and now soccer and baseball. That's right. And, and there's, I, but it's the same in, in, in the UK in the sense that you, you get people who are sporty, you know, you get people who are sports oh, yeah. fans and it's the same, it's the same. Yeah. But, the, but, 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 you know, in, in, in Britain, um, football is, is almost like the national religion. I mean, right. it's, it's the yeah. sport and everyone follows it. Everyone. And right. I don't think that's equivalent in this country because here, here, you know, what, what kind of sport you, you watch, take an interest in, it depends on it's regional. It's to do with class. It's to do with a whole lot of factors. Right. Right. Um, there is no one sport that unites like the whole country. Whereas in, right. in Britain, very much soccer is the national game. 
Um, is it the national game for men? Or is there, when you say everyone, do you mean like your, your, your mum would also? Oh, no, everyone. Everyone. Okay. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. That, that, well, of course, it's the, it's the, it's the men's teams, uh, right. the men's sport, the men's league that we watch, but, it, but it's something that everyone watches. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I really love the relegation, not to go too deep down the rabbit trail, but the fact that teams can go in and out of the fanciest league, I think is genius. We had this whole conversation and Ted Lasso, the wonderful show does a great job of talking about it where, where they talk about some of the football teams and they're like, so you just be bad. And then you just stay in this league making gajillions of dollars, but you're just a bad team. And it's like so foreign to their concept, because I think, you know, the fact that any team, if they're good, could move up into another league is, is just fantastic. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, David had his soccer moment. <laughs> you got a soccer question. Yeah. And sorry, yeah. Chris, you well, got the high, you got the highbrow question. Sam got the lowbrow question. Sorry. No, I, I'm, I, I really, I really love The it. last thing I'll and, say uh, is something slightly controversial, which is that uh, I'm trying to get into American football, but watching it still feels like watching rugby and hitting pause every 30 seconds. And I can't deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, had a, have a soft spot in my heart for football and especially coming off of these last two decades with, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots. And it's just been a big part of my life. And somebody fascinatingly said recently that football was the two worst parts about America, um, meetings and violence, <laughs> you know, because they, <laughs> I don't know why that's as funny as it is. So there's like funny. all these meetings yeah. and then just so much violence. So I thought <laughs> oh that was... There's one thing to add to that though, that it's, it, and it also has something that we probably should do more of, which is slow motion review of the play. Oh, yeah. Like we should do that more in our society. <laughs> right, right, and uh, like worship, like just yeah. really watch it. Yeah, just like but let's let's stop back. and ask ourselves why we just did that. Like, what just <laughs> happened? Like, we're terrible at that. And yet, football—it it is the reason that football is such a good TV sport—is that you can see the slow motion. I mean, mm. I guess Sam, like you said, you didn't like that, but that is what makes TV, football so much better on TV than it is live. Yeah, oh, interesting. And it's interesting. but it's missing from. Um, you know, it's missing from our society as a. You also have the good fortune of not having that guy next to you who's super drunk and swearing the whole time, like, <laughs> That's true which is part of the experience. I remember I took, I have a senior colleague who was a really close friend of the family and, you know, just a wonderful minister, super wise. And anyway, big, big Patriots fan and about, 10, 12 years into the time of Tom Brady, I got us tickets and I, I was living far away. And so we came in and brought him in and he was already pretty old by that point and wasn't moving around super easily. And it's a pretty big walk from the car all the way up to yeah. the, you know, and he was game. He was excited. Uh, but definitely he was like, we were talked about it afterwards and he was like, that was really wonderful. And I don't think I need to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yep, yep. They, um, it's it's also very good on TV. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, this yeah. was super fascinating, and thank you for 
you know, all of the beautiful worship we've been creating and all of the ways you've been supporting and your work in the schools. And it's, um, it's been really wonderful to, yeah, well, thank you. And thank you for including me and, and, and allowing all that other stuff to happen. I, I, um, I was telling a friend about singing this weekend and, and, you know, he was saying, well, how does that work exactly? Like you just get invited to sing. Like, <laughs> What's the mechanism? I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't feel all that like privileged. I think, you know, they're desperately trying to fill some slots. <laughs> I could fill the slots, but it is part of the, um, but it is part of the magic of being in community that, you know, one yeah. of the ways that I value human interaction is through music and I get to do it and I love it. And, yeah. um, you know, and I, so I appreciate being included, you know, in things like the worship, but I also I feel very grateful, um, you know, being part of parish board and part, part, you know, all the conversations about our youth and, you know, these kind of conversations, I think, this is this is the faith. The faith is is that together we make the world better, and together we you know we got to practice that togetherness. It doesn't, doesn't just happen magically. You've got to practice it, and you got to build the muscles, and you got to build the skill. Um, so I feel very grateful for all the opportunities to do things like this. Well, and as always, thanks for listening, and feel free reach out anytime with any questions and if there's anything that we can do that Sam can do that I can do to be of support in this moment your community's here for you and yeah tune in again real soon